meets a river, river meets a valley, valley meets a rain, live on in the valley. Welcome to the Ankylosing Spondylitis Podcast. My name is Jason Sacco and I'm your host. As a 35 plus year spondy, I'm looking to use this show to bring the spondy community closer. I'll give my lifelong battle with AS to you. That includes triumphs, tragedies, and lessons. So sit back, enjoy, and know you are not alone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Ankylosing Spondylitis Podcast. I'm very excited to have on this guest this week. I think it's awesome to bring in fellow people with ankylosing spondylitis to not only hear their story, but learn from them about what they're doing to deal with the pain, deal with ankylosing spondylitis, and not feel so isolated and alone like a lot of us can, because there's so few of us in the day-to-day life that you might meet. So this guest, I think she's really special. She has an Instagram page that we'll talk about in a little bit as well, but her name is Julie Caviezel. Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Jason. I want to touch base on a couple things. You have ankylosing spondylitis and have been diagnosed, but you went through a long journey to get that diagnosis. Can you talk a little bit about that so that I think it's, like I said, I think it's really important for women to hear others' stories, to know that they're not alone and that they sometimes have to be their own best advocate for this disease. Yes, definitely. Um, For me in particular, it was a long journey and over 20 years um, of trying to find a doctor who would listen. Um, A lot of male doctors especially, but even female uh, would just kind of dismiss me as being overthinking it. I, I heard my primary care doctor of yours said, you just think too much. You just need to, you know, not, not worry so much. I think it's all up in your head. And I heard the, the phrase, I think it's more psychological than physiological. All your blood work looks great. There's nothing wrong with you. You're in perfect health. And when you, uh, as a patient, place your trust in your doctor and you're seeking medical advice, and you keep hearing that over and over for years, it really starts to mess with your head and make you feel like there is something wrong with you, even though you know in your heart of hearts um, that it's not psychological, um, but you almost start believing them because they're the expert, they should know, right? And I think it's really important for everyone, and I would say women especially, to listen to our bodies and um, don't be dismissed. Don't take no for an answer. If, if you feel in your gut that there's something wrong, keep pursuing it. Um, my parents call me a pit bull um, because I tend to um, be tenacious and very loyal and to the point where I would probably lay down my life for a friend. And those are breed characteristics. Um, and with that, I also tend to um, not give up. And But there were times over the 20 some years where I felt like giving up and I did, I would for a little bit, whether it be like a few months or a year or so. And then I'd kind of try to find another specialist and it just, it took a long time. Um, And it wasn't until my symptoms got really severe that I was taken more seriously. 
and I, I lucked out. I, I go to a really cool clinic up in Seattle. It's called the Polyclinic. I highly recommend it. It's doctor owned. It's, there's not a lot of bureaucracy. It's like a pure, like they just really want to help people. It's kind of the best of the best. And that's where I have found my specialists, um, cardiology, dermatology, because I've had melanoma. I do have uh, very early stages of coronary artery disease as well. And so, um, and now my rheumatologist is there. So yeah, I mean, it took finding him who he sat there and he saw my x-rays after he ordered them, which no other doctor had, which to me, the golden rule that I found out is when you're testing for AS, it's not just the blood test. You're, the doctors are also supposed to order the x-ray and no other doctor had done the x-ray. They'd only done the blood test. And for me and my family, my mom has it and other um, people in her family have it. They all test positive for that mutation. And I don't. So your mom and others that have ankylosing spondylitis are HLA B27 positive, yes. but your blood work was coming back for you being negative. Negative. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. So hence the doctors start as a woman, the doctor's, start not ordering x-rays yep see that's really a disservice to you is so where did your pain start at my neck early on uh probably about 18 or 19 years old start maybe even younger than that i couldn't i noticed just working out i couldn't do sit-ups like everyone else could it would hurt really badly um i'd have to kind of cradle my neck and modify and that was at a pretty young age and then it just kind of got worse and worse i was told i had what looked like a c-curve in my spine at one point by a, a chiropractor that was in my early 20s lower back pain you know progressing on and uh yeah it just kind of and then more and more symptoms would appear. My neck has always been a constant. I had a horseback riding accident about 10 years ago, and I had a compression fracture in my L5, in my spine. And I think that must have maybe triggered some of the pain down in my hips and sacroiliac region. And that's what showed up on that x-ray done a year and a half ago. So when that x-ray was done a year and a half ago, that was, say... 18-ish, 19-ish years since symptoms had kind of been noticeable for you. Yeah. What did it look like? Were you seeing just inflammation or uh, fusing or both? So he, my rheumatologist showed it to me and he said right there, he pointed to the sacroiliac joint and the hips and he said, that's, that's AS. And so I, I didn't ask a lot of questions. It does. I don't think it's fusing yet but I don't know for sure. I haven't gone, I've gone back once because he really wants me to go on Humira and that's a whole other topic. For a while, I think I had my head in the sand and wanted to be in kind of like denial about it. So, hey, I got my diagnosis, great. I'm validated, but I don't want to focus on it right now. So um, that being said, I know there is joint damage and inflammation around there. He also did a kind of the ultrasound where he goes almost head to toe and looks at joints and said that I had basically like tennis elbow in all my joints. So that was another tool he used to diagnose me. So he, he used some sort of an ultrasound to 
measure my levels of inflammation in my joints and determined that I had like a pretty high <clears throat> number. So that was also a diagnostic tool he used, but he's the first specialist I've been to. I've gone to two other supposedly renowned rheumatologists over the years and they, they just would sit and talk to me and hold my hands and then put me on, like try to put me on Neurontin and tell me I had fibromyalgia. And what you said was interesting. And the, I, the reason I asked about where your pain started, and you had no idea I was going to ask that, this week's episode I'm doing that will come out tomorrow, I noticed a fact from the Spondylitis Association of America that said that a lot of women's pain starts in their neck, not mm -hmm. their lower back, and yeah. kind of works down in reverse. So it's true. you yeah. almost fit that. You're classic in that you've had the neck pain, mm -hmm. but you don't have the gene, which really... I think people need to pull back on that. You've got, you know, there's too much focus, I think, put on that HLA B27 that you I do agree. or don't have there's it. a lot of false positives and false negatives in any genetic testing. So it could be that I just, it's a false negative. Who knows? Yeah. So I, I think you've got to look in, and now with a much more wider understanding of non-radiographic axial spondyl arthritis, mm -hmm. you really, as a doctor, have to look at the whole picture. And let's face it, osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, those are the doctor's bread and butter. They're going to see 15 people with rheumatoid arthritis or osteoarthritis for every one they see with ankylosing spondylitis. I yeah. get that. So they're going to be more in tune with those other conditions. I, I know that. And that's why I have to be more of an advocate, more of a knowledge base for the doctor. The greatest thing now is all these doctors have these uh, email systems and mm -hmm. I've uploaded numerous files to her system on ankylosing spondylitis to say, just in case you haven't seen this, here you go. Now, if she wants to delete it, that's on her, but I've at least provided it to her. Right. I know even my primary care doc admitted to me, I mean, it was pre-COVID, so it's all a blur, right? But my last <laughs> appointment with her, she said, to be honest with you, I just there isn't much more information on AS now than there was 30 years ago. It's just not really studied. There's not a lot of that's updated. I don't agree with that. I think there might be some textbooks that haven't been updated as much. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole axial spondyl arthritis family, I think is much more in the news now because of the ability for biologics to be used. Right. Uh, from the pharmaceutical company, they have a vested interest to provide information on how they can or can't be of assistance using the biologics. From the doctor's standpoint, the biologics are advertised on TV. So you and I as patients, we may be going in there and asking about them. So they need to have some minimal understanding of what they're talking about. So good or bad, it's the cat's out of the bag. So they have to have some basic understanding. It works, for example, I'm on Cosentix, which works with psoriatic arthritis as well. There's Enbrel, which, you know, you've got different commercials on featuring different people. Uh, everything is different times and different places that it's advertised. But I do right. think that that is good for the disease because it makes the doctors have to understand it better. They, they have to kind of go back to the books and look at it and say, all right, I have Jason that's got ankylosing spondylitis. I've got Julie that I thought had fibro, but she keeps coming back and none of the treatments for fibro are helping. What am I missing? Huh? Right. Oh, 
she hasn't had an x-ray in 15 years or she's never had an x-ray by me or mm -hmm. she had an x-ray and it was eh, middle of the road. I need to order an MRI um, right. or whatever, you know, whatever the issues are, they need to dig deeper. And I don't know if they're capable of doing that at this point. And that's why I've been a huge advocate of being your own advocate. I had a gentleman on the show of, oh, I don't know, eight, 10 episodes ago, 10, 12 episodes ago, James Allen, who came up with an app for your phone called Chronic Insights. He's out of England and he has ankylosing spondylitis. Well, this app is basically designed to allow you or any other person that uses it to go in and input where they're having pain. And wow. I think for a small fee, either on a yearly or monthly basis, I can't remember, you can track numerous conditions as well as create an exportable document for your doctor to then look at. Because I don't know about you, but every time I go to the doctor, they say, here's a piece of paper. Tell me how you've been feeling for the last five to seven days. And yeah. invariably those last five to seven days, I've felt great. Right. Um, it's or, ridiculous. Yeah. It's you know, like you circle the number and, or it's a smiley face and then the sap. Yeah. Exactly. Where's the, you know, the, I feel like three days a week and I feel mildly okay, you know, 12 days and a month. Right. And it just doesn't, I don't think it gives them enough information. So someone like you goes through a 20 year period of trying to convince them that there's something wrong. And right. I get so aggravated about this because my experience was completely opposite. I was 14 years old. I had been in pain for four years, was told over and over it was growing pains go to a chiropractor, go to a chiropractor. Finally, he was a family friend, super nice guy. And he finally said, look, he goes, everything I've done should have fixed it. Yeah. He goes, there's something else going on in here. We need to get this looked at. Mm -hmm. So 14 years old, I can't even drive yet. My mom takes me down to a rheumatologist appointment. We're sitting there in the office. In comes the rheumatologist. He says, stand up, turn around. He looks at my hips a little bit. Now he also said some misleading information, but which later changed, but not, not because he was trying to be misleading. It was because he was just saying what was thought of at the time. He yeah. says, squeeze my hands. So he put two of his fingers in my hands and squeeze those. Now I know he was checking to see if I had arthritis in my hands. He comes back and he says, you have ankylosing spondylitis. And I said, what's that? And he goes, well, he goes, now I'm going to do the x-rays, the blood work and everything else to verify my diagnosis of you. And I said, okay, when got x-rays, blood work, HLA-B27 positive. Now, again, this is going back 36 years ago. So that was the main genetic marker. And he just goes, boom, boom, boom. Here's what you got. See yeah. you in six months. And I thought everybody got, you go to the doctor, they tell you, you got ankylosing spondylitis. They give you a NSAID, out you go. Wasn't until I started getting involved in the AS community a decade ago on these Facebook forums and starting to hear from people like you said, oh no, I've been fighting my doctors for 20 years. And I'm like, yeah. what in the heck? That's crazy. Do you find in your experience in the last 10 years of connecting with other AS patients that it is a majority of women who tend to be dismissed by their doctors? Do you find it yes. to be? Yeah, I, I feel like doctors in general, when a male complains of pain, they take it seriously which I find kind of funny because I think women in general have a pretty high tolerance of pain, um, being that we birth large babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And so I, I would always say like, they'd ask on a scale of one to 10, especially once I've had three kids and they're all like nine to 10 pound babies. Those were turkeys. They, they're turkeys. There's <laughs> three month olds coming out, right? Let's be real. And they'd say like on a scale of one to 10, how's your pain? I was like, well, 10's childbirth to me. And so, I mean, maybe like a six or seven or, you know, but I do feel like there is something to be said. I, and I don't know how to change that. Maybe it's just having these conversations and putting it out there and hopefully more healthcare practitioners will take women seriously. I don't know what it is about it becoming a sexist thing or, you know, discriminatory well, against women. You know, I, I think it goes back to the original way this disease was looked at. Yeah. And that if you, if you chart it back, I did it just out of curiosity. I'm a history major. So I did a history of AS and in looking back at it, they started off in the 16, 17, 1800s. They only looked at male cadavers. So if I'm only looking at male cadavers, then I'm only going to see this disease in men. Okay. So fast forward that through a few hundred years of medical knowledge. And if you don't have any women in the studies and something I learned from a gentleman that used to be the president of the Canadian Spondylitis Association is that when you look at the overall axial spondyl arthritis that includes both non-radiographic and AS. Mm -hmm. About two-thirds of the people with AS are men, one-third are women. Now, that, that's not exact, but it's close. Yeah. About two-thirds of the non-radiographic are women and one-third are men. So it, when you look at the axial spondyl arthritis umbrella, we're about one-to-one. -one. It's about on par. Mm -hmm. Women just present different. And because yeah. they present different, and the doctors want to, A, let's face it, they want to get you out of the office because they need to turn over that table. Yeah. They do want to help you. I don't want to make it seem like they don't want to help you, but they yeah, have I to do it. I think there are some that do want to help. Yeah. I think others yeah. maybe are burnt out and tired of the carousel. Yeah. And they have to do it in the fastest, most expedient way. Yeah. And they know that if I diagnose you, if I diagnose you with fibro first and everything works, then I hit the nail on the head Half because exactly because you weren't showing the HLA gene. Mm -hmm. The issue was that your family is. And so that was the missing piece. I, mm -hmm. I just, I get very aggravated by it because man or woman, nobody should have to suffer with this damn disease. Yeah. And it's also frustrating too, because some, I try not to think about it, but just in our conversation, it, it obviously brings it up that, I wonder sometimes if I had been diagnosed earlier, would I have had as much joint damage and pain and maybe my life would have been different. Who knows? I mean, right. it, it can be, especially when you're not diagnosed and you're kind of going down a rabbit hole of sorts and you're just in chronic pain and fatigue and you don't know what is wrong and you feel like you're fighting against your body. Like I, I liken it to walking in a wind tunnel against the wind and it's just this extremely frustrating, fatiguing feeling that you're fighting all the time. It affects your relationships. I've lost friends because I've gone through periods where I've been so anxious and so irritable and just not myself. And so, yeah, I mean, it definitely affects your entire existence. And I mean, I guess there's no point to do the whole what ifs, but it, it is... You know. Yeah, everything can derive a what if, but I, I completely agree that 
I never knew if I was an anxious person or, and, or if the AS caused me to be an anxious person, but my anxiety level was through the roof. Um, Sometimes bordering on just almost paranoia type levels of anxiety. Yeah. And I went unmedicated and it created issues. I've lost marriages because of it, friends. And I corrected some of that. And that's the next topic that we're going to talk about. I'm going to skip over the biologics for a minute. I'm a huge proponent of them. But on top of biologics, there's also another way that you can help with things like sleep, pain, the anxiety that we discussed. And that's the use of cannabis. Yes. And you are a big proponent of the use of cannabis, which is one of the things I, as am I, I think it's ridiculous that it's not legal in all 50 states. And I, I use it for sleep, not regularly. I, I don't use it near as much as I think might be fun, but it is a fantastic for me, anxiety reliever, as well as a sleep inducer. Mm-hmm. For sure. So how did you get into use of it? Well, gosh, I mean, in high school, I did it recreationally as more of a rebellious teen thing, you know, and that was before it was legal in our state in Washington. So you would just, you know, go a few bucks in on it with some friends and a Ziploc baggie and you don't know what you're going to get, right? And what I love fast forward to me as an adult, and you know, and then there was a period for maybe, I don't know. 15, 20 years where I didn't use it at all. But once it became legal in our state, I actually had friends who own, they own a series of high-end pot shops, retail, uh, recreational pot shops. And it just really started to interest me, the science behind it. There's so many studies showing, especially isolating CBD and and the effect that that has on pain and inflammation and anxiety and helping with sleep and blah, blah, blah. And those are all things I was struggling with. So I started, um, I went into one of the shops. I love that you can go in, talk to anyone there, and there's a binder of different strains and where it was grown and if it's organic. And I love that you can tailor your cannabis use based on what your needs are. I've, I'm a huge proponent of legalizing it federally because there is such health benefit. I've experienced it personally. I'm a better mom. I'm a better wife. I'm a better human being using it. I, I don't get high. I, I do sometimes, but pretty rare. Um, I prefer my method of choice is uh, a vape that I use that is a very high CBD, low THC, um, ratio. And I have two types that I like. It's pure oil. There's no additives. There's no flavors. My naturopath loves that I use it. I see results with it. Uh, I definitely struggle with anxiety. I, I used to get panic attacks. They would just kind of come on and I couldn't breathe. And um, it's pretty scary when you're driving down the road with your kids and a panic attack just comes on. So this, I don't have panic attacks anymore. If I run out or my vape doesn't work or my pen, maybe the battery's dead and I can't find my charger and maybe I'm without it for a few days. By the end of a few days, I start to notice my pain is way worse. I'm way stiffer in my neck. I have difficulty walking. So for anybody listening that's not understanding what vaping is, could you explain what 
a pen is, what oil is, and, and right. the basic process of how you would vape this CBD oil, and even how you determined what level of milligrams was appropriate for you. Right. That's a good question. So for me, I liked the idea of the vape because it's not the thick, heavy smoke from a, from a traditional joint or bud that you would use um, in a pipe or whatnot or a bong or, you know, however. I prefer that it's a cleaner way. There's no smoke. It's convenient because you can carry it around with you. The type made for my friend's um, business, it has their logo on it. They actually have their own battery factory in Michigan in Flint. So they mm -hmm. control the safety and longevity of the battery. And I've, you know, cause you hear these horror stories of the vape, the e-cigarettes blowing up in people's faces and that all is kind of scary. Um, but the oil that I use is it's by a brand called Fairwinds, but the problem is each state has their own manufacturers. I know that you can go online and look up fairwinds.com, I believe it is. And does uh, your friend's shop have a website so that anybody that's in is, in Washington can connect with them? It is called The Gallery. Uh, the Gallery is definitely kind of the Nordstrom of pot shops. Uh, very high-end, beautiful artwork, excellent customer service, I just can't say enough good things about it. Really good selection. So for me, I, and I'll go to others too that are maybe closer to my home or more convenient. But what I love is that you can tell the person, I don't want to get high. I just am looking for something to manage pain or anxiety. I would like a high CBD, low THC so that I can microdose during the day and not be high. I could do it in the car while I'm driving or in the grocery store, wherever. I, if I feel like maybe some anxiety is coming on, I can take a quick little puff of it and it just brings whatever levels that are going up, it brings it down. Um, so when you say puff, does it look like an e-cigarette, like just a long tube? I, mean, I can show you, obviously the, the listeners aren't going to see it. Okay, so it's it looks like a, a CO2 cartridge, maybe a little bit bigger than a CO2 cartridge for a yeah. BB gun, if that makes sense for some listeners. And so yeah. you just put the oil in there. Yeah, it comes, the cartridge is separate and you can just, it's interchangeable, oh, okay. so you can just take it out. And this one is a 10 to one ratio. I also have a 20 to one and a five to one. The five to one is a little bit stronger. I have that in tincture drop formula as well as this but for my day-to-day -day, i stick with more of like a 20 to 1 or 10 to 1 ratio that's a cbd to thc there's a lot of information out there showing that you do need a tiny bit of thc to activate the cbd i have found that to be true for myself i've tried just straight up cbd that you can get it anywhere retail right now it's legal because there's no thc in it but to me i don't see any I haven't found personally any benefit in those products. Um, I find it makes a difference if there's a tiny bit of THC. And that's, I think the big issue is that just like everybody being different with ankylosing spondylitis, somebody could walk into a shop that sells just CBD products that, you know, marijuana is not legal in and they could try it. They might have to take more CBD than you but they can find that at a right. certain level, a tincture, a, a drop, whatever works. And then they have, they're on their way. They, they go and it works for others. It doesn't. 
and they end up right. like you saying, I've got to find something with a micro dose throughout the day. And I honestly don't even know what, when somebody says micro dose, I don't know if there's a general like um, eight to 10 puffs a day, two to three puffs a day. I guess that's really going to be determined upon you, the user, what helps you. It is. It's so individual, and that's what's um, an interesting part of this topic, um, cannabis in general. It is not a one-size-fits-all herb. I don't call it a drug because it's, it's a plant. Let's be real. It's not a drug. It's not manufactured in a facility. It is a plant, and so I call it an herb. It, it, everyone's chemistry is different. Everyone's brain chemistry is different, so one strain might be great for me and might make someone feel super paranoid and weirded out. And mm -hmm. I guess what I would say to people who are trying it is just start out really low. If you do have it where it's legal in your state and you can go into one of these shops, I would highly recommend that you just talk to the person working there, tell them what your needs are. A good shop is going to listen to you and they're going to find you products to try. And if you don't have success with one particular strain, don't write off the whole plant. Um, there are so many, there's thousands of strains out there. I would just say keep trying because it's not going to harm you. And if you do get something that's a little stronger than you wanted and you may get a little high and it feels weird, it wears off in a couple hours. You're not going to die from it. Show me one person who's ever died from pot. I, I I don't think it's out there statistically. I may be wrong, but to I'm me, not aware of not, any. Yeah, I've never heard of it. And think about, you know, those the same doctors who are prescribing pain meds. Like, I mean, I've been prescribed oxy and all sorts of very dangerous um, drugs that are highly addictive and lead statistically to opiate use and addiction and overdose and heroin Abuse. and right and but then they're poo-pooing cannabis that's it doesn't lead to any of that and a lot of a lot of people say it's the gateway drug and i always say i'm sorry but alcohol is the gateway drug if we want to be honest here because i think that as teenagers starting to experiment most start with a beer or sneak at their aunt's wine cooler or white claw or whatever i don't think people go straight to smoking weed do you know what i mean i i just there's think there's steps. so much there's steps. Let's be real. I didn't start smoking pot first. I snuck my aunt's wine coolers when mm -hmm. I was 15. Or <laughs> so. I believe I, I don't buy the whole gateway thing. I think it's a personality issue. You either have a personality issue that's going to keep looking for that next high yeah. or you or an don't. Personality. Yeah. And you're either going to be addictive to drugs, alcohol, work, sex, whatever, you're, you're going to choose a, a vice, an issue, and you're going to tackle right. that and be addicted to it, you know, right. in one form or another. And everything about the use of marijuana is tied back to Randolph Hearst not wanting it to compete yes. uh, because hemp made such cheap, inexpensive, high quality paper. And he at least yeah. and and or bought hundreds of thousands of acres in the South to make his paper mills, he couldn't afford to have marijuana uh, competing against his hemp production. Ford wanted to use hemp in the production of the car bodies because 
it could be smacked in and and a lot of times it didn't need to be bumped out like steel and iron and all that it, it was resilient and lighter so mm-hmm. then you end up with movies like reefer madness and Do not the, even get me started on that one. the <laughs> idea to scare the population you know into this crazy drug that had been being smoked for years them too there was an undertone of you know black men smoke marijuana and rape our white women that was a oh, of course campaign that Hearst paid for himself and mm-hmm. I mean there was no internet there was no anything the mode of distribution for information was the newspaper yeah and if you control the newspapers you control what the general population sees and now they've got this great brand new technology called movies Let's create a crazy off the wall movie. So yeah, it's, it's really so over time to remove this from the federal drug laws. Look at all these poor kids sitting in prison with real criminals. Pedophiles going free, especially, I don't know about your state, but when COVID hit, our governor released a bunch of pedophiles and rapists from prison to try to make more room, but the pot offenders were still in prison. It made no sense to me. I, I, to most of us, we just don't get it. I, yeah, it is. It was a, well, there's this last few months, there's nothing that's really made a lot of sense. It's been a lot of goofiness, right. but so I've used a, a type switching back to the, the marijuana Yeah. and, and I do smoke it just because I'm not familiar with the vaping end of it but i i really like that i'm gonna have to look into that yeah i use a brand or not a brand but a strain called crazy glue that Mm -hmm. i found works well for making me sleepy and with my sleep apnea i'm i'm out Uh, i put my mask on and i'm out for the night but what's amazing is you can go to websites like leafly and leafly's great for people listeners out there i would highly recommend leafly yeah they can go into leafly and research hundreds if not thousands of different strains that are available and then if you know if you've read these three strains don't be tied to them be open to what your local store has but then you can at least go in and say well i read about x i like the sound of it and they Mm -hmm. might tell you that that strain is not available in whatever state you're in but this strain is heck i i watched an interview on youtube yesterday that jim belushi is now got a large pot farm in Oregon. That's awesome. And he's growing a strain called uh, Captain Jack. Captain Jack. Yep. And this is the guy that apparently. Okay. I'm going to have to look into that. I have a friend who grows down in Port in Oregon, um, Laird Farms. Talia Wash. She's awesome. And um, they do hydroponic growing and just super cool. cutting edge. Yeah. And I actually met her down in Cannon Beach a few years ago and we stayed in touch um, thanks to the internet. And I just love, I love innovation and I love hearing about people um, trying, trying new methods of growing. I have some friends that have a grow facility and I've gone over there just to learn what they're doing. And this isn't the old days from the seventies where they throw a couple seeds in a field and come mm-hmm. back in three months and hope they're there. This is, they're tracking the amount of sun, the amount of dark that they get there. And I'm going, wow, this is crazy. You know, I I mean, crazy in a good way. Mm -hmm. Because he goes, I can determine, I can get seeds and I can determine exactly what this plant's going to do and and direct it the way I want it to direct it. And then I get the quality product that I want. 
and I was like, that's insane. I mean, just to, to watch the whole thing is, is really, it, like I said, it's not, it's not Cheech and Chong anymore. It's a whole new, it's a whole new industry and it's really quite interesting to watch it grow. Yeah, it's, I think it's exciting um, for the states that are legal. I, 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 it's a very exciting industry. I hope we can keep having these conversations, dispelling some of the stereotypes out there and maybe educating people. And I think that that is key um, because I, I think it, it does society good. I would venture to guess that a lot of this is just because, you know, drug companies kind of run the world and there isn't, I'm sure eventually there will be interest for drug companies to invest in um, cannabis in a way where they can make their own spin on it or whatever. But I wonder sometimes about that. So if I wanted to start to look at vaping is, Mm -hmm. is the pen and, and the cartridges is, the pen can be bought anywhere or do you generally buy those at the same place that you buy the cartridges? I buy this one at the gallery because they make their own, um, and it ha- they, they make their own batteries too in Michigan. And I just like that there's more quality control there. So I can't say per state what to advise, but, um, and then they generally are universal. So whatever company makes these cartridges, this is separate you can buy and they're all compatible. Okay. And that was my question is I, I don't have to go to the gallery as an example and buy cartridges just from them. Right. You could, it's all interchangeable. It's kind of a universal design from what I understand. So that that's what I do. Then I can just change them out. So if I, it's kind of funny, I'll show you this. I mean, your listeners won't be able to see it, but you know how you can go in these pottery studios and paint your own, you know, pottery. And then they sure. yeah, put it in the kiln. So I made this. Oh, cool. What she's <laughs> holding up is a small little, almost like a serving tray. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell if it's impressed in the bottom of it or just painted in the bottom of it is a marijuana it's leaf. Painted. Painted. I painted, okay. I free, I freehanded it a little pot leaf. It's not your, you know, I went with my kids and I actually met, um, my my daughter's friend and her mom there and I'm just not shy about it I'm not also in your face where I'm wearing pot leaves and like <laughs> smoking a bunch of weed all the time but I'm also very open about it so anyways I made this because when we have guests over I like to be able to serve different options and so on my vape pen I'll take off my daily cartridge that's just you know, that I do throughout the day, because that does not get me high. But then I'll maybe put a stronger one on for a guest if they want one, or I'll offer, you know, I love pre-rolls that come conveniently packaged. You can also get them. I think I got this one in Oregon. They come all packaged separately, just little pre-roll joints. And they're usually not very much. They're maybe five bucks each. And Oh, so those are actually, just so the listeners know, she, Julie is holding up these tubes. They're just a tube, like what a cigar would come in. Yeah. Like if you went to a high-end cigar store and they put the cigar in a plastic tube when you left. Mm-hmm. And so inside of that is a single joint? Yes, I'll take it out. Very cool. You can tell I have not gone to a... Po- okay, so I opened the tube. They're, they're childproof, so they're kind of hard to open, especially if you have arthritis. Oh, I'll never get into it. They're almost... 
right? It's kind of hard. Sometimes I have to have my husband open up. Like, we don't do these very often. This is more like if we're um, at our cabin or just want to puff or two before bedtime, um, like how you use it to sleep. These are great for extra, just kind of maybe knock you out. Or, but, but they're also fun socially. This one is a really popular strain called Wedding Cake. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nationally recognized legally and illegally. It's just a popular strain. Um, I like it. It's great for, um, you know, if you're just kind of with friends or whatever. I wouldn't be able to do it throughout the day. My brain would not handle it well, but. If I tried to do Gorilla Glue through the day, I wouldn't yeah. make it. I'd just go to sleep. No. But if I do a little bit of that wedding cake, in the daytime, it's, it's fine. Okay. See, isn't that interesting? Okay. So for me, it would make me super high. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I'll get high. Mm -hmm. No, I'll be high as a kite, but yeah. I won't but be won't. wanting to sleep. Yeah. So that's interesting that you say that. So um, wedding cake is sativa from what I remember. Let me see if I'm correct on that. So there's indica and then there's sativa. Sativa. And sativa is kind of the more energetic high, um, a head high a little bit. Indica tends to be more of like a calming or they, the way that you can remember it is indica, indica couch. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> kind of more like a body high and you feel a little more relaxed. So for some people like this one is called mango haze. It's a CBD, but it's a sativa. This is going to um, make you and let me see. And what I love when it's legal is it prints out a the label. breakdown. Yeah. I love that you see the exact percentage of THC versus CBD. But um, so the sativa is going to make you more high. And that's not necessarily what I'm looking for on a day to day basis. I don't, I would not function very well as a mother. Uh, so that, so that's not my go to. That brings up a great point because. As a parent, yes. even if you remove all the bad stuff that we are taught, the, the false stuff, there's mm -hmm. still that item that I'm a parent. I have these children here. They may see me on the vape. I'm probably not going to do one of those in front of them, but you could. How do. do you explain to them what it is and what it isn't? Not that they shouldn't try it when they're older. I have no problem with somebody right. older. It's my issue is... And again, this is going to be hypocritical because as a kid in college, I partied like a rock star, but your brain doesn't really fully develop until you're 25, 26 for some people in their forties, okay. you know, but so you want your child to at least hold off as long as possible. Right. And I don't even know what the legal age is for it. I'm assuming 21. It's 21 in our state. I, I think that's the case elsewhere where it's legal, but I haven't referenced that. So I'm not 100% sure. Um, there is always the argument of lowering the age for alcohol and marijuana to 18 um, or raising because we are sending, you know, 18 year old boys off to war, but they can't go buy a beer. Right. That's a whole other topic. But yeah, I'm I think with the marijuana, especially, yeah, you're right with the brain chemistry and whatnot. For most people, it is wise to wait till you're older. I don't know if that's realistic. Yeah. I mean, trying it as one thing, a mm -hmm. daily use. And again, if it came down to an issue where and I don't have a 12 year old child at this time, but if I had a 12 year old child, a 14 year old child that came to me and was dealing with ankylosing spondylitis, was diagnosed with non-radiographic, whichever, I would 
100% be open to them getting a vape pen and using it when they're with me. Obviously, they wouldn't be allowed to use it through school and we'd have to come up with a alternative or some type of plan for that. But knowing the amount of pain that I went through because there was no medications in the 80s, right? I don't want anybody to deal with that. And no. if there's some way to help relieve some of that via biologics, via microdosing, via some controlled use of NSAIDs, then mm -hmm. let's hit it on all fronts instead of just let the poor person suffer. Right. I agree. I think, um, and also it's, you know, for me personally, as a mother, cause I have three kids, their ages are, my daughter's almost 16. Um, my middle daughter is 11 and a half and then I have a 10 year old son. And so I'm super open with them. I always have been, I've never told them any lies. Really. I try to be really honest. Um, so even when they were little and they would ask me about Santa, I'd turn the question back on them. Well, what do you think? You know, or I've never been like, yay, Easter bunny or leprechauns, or I just don't, I always want my kids to know I'm being very real and honest with them. Obviously that kind of sounds like a buzzkill because I'm sure the magic of childhood is <laughs> Easter bunny. <laughs> but they did experience Santa up until a certain point when they were old enough to figure it out. I just let them figure it out. But anyways, I um, I am open with them. I have let them know I've been diagnosed with this disease. It is very painful. Um, I've been prescribed a drug that I have a lot of potential, very harmful side effects. I'd like to try the path of least resistance first. Um, and so I am very open with them. I do it in front of them. They know that I do it for pain and anxiety and there's no stigma. And they're, they're free to ask me questions. Um, my daughter, my middle daughter has signs of arthritis presenting already, especially in her knees. And so, so my, my daughter, Lola, uses this cream regularly on her knees where she presents most of her pain and inflammation. Um, and she'll ask for it. She actually has her own, we keep it in the house upstairs and downstairs. And um, it is highly effective. Again, no... Uh, there's no high, there's no psychological or psychoactive repercussions, but, but my kids are starting to connect cannabis use with pain relief in a healthy way. Um, right. And I think that that's the conversation to have with your kids is that, you know, sometimes I'll take Advil. I try really hard not to take it regularly because I don't want to damage my stomach or my liver or whatever over time and so that's kind of an emergency basis that I'll take a couple apple here and there but for my health I tend to rely more on cannabis products because there's there's no side effect and I'm trying my best I want my kids to see mom is trying her best to be as healthy as possible and choose a more natural route um, they've begged me not to go on Humira yet um, because they see the ads and it scares them. But, um, and I am in an increased risk group for some of those potential side effects with Humira. So I think my kids appreciate that I'm trying cannabis first. So that's been our conversation. There's no stigma in our home about it because I'm just super open and they can ask me anything. And I do keep it in my room or up or away. I try not to just have it out. Um, yeah. It's not like the kids come home from school and here's some Oreos. 
here's a glass of milk and here's a blunt, you know, it, right, you're being right, a responsible person. You, right. You know, <laughs> and I, I never quite understand that thought process here when it was legalized in Michigan, the local town council said, no, we're not having any, we're not going to allow it in the city to be sold because it gives more access to the children. It doesn't. They're so strict. You have, at least in our state, when you walk into a pot shop, there is a security person there at a front desk. Sometimes it's in a separate little kiosk or little waiting room. I mean, there it's very secure. You have to provide your ID. They scan it or whatever, and then they let you in. Um, it, it's not some free-for-all where all these kids are I've never ever seen anyone in any pot shop that isn't an adult and isn't, you know, and yeah, you're going to get all sorts of people. Let's be real. But I think um, people like in your city council or in their mindset thinking a specific type of person, they're not thinking of someone like me. No, you would want someone like me in their town shopping, but. Yeah. Well, we'd want, I don't care what type of person you are short of a criminal Right. But if you're coming into the town, the chances of you using some other service in the town, a certain percentage of something is better than 100% of nothing. Agreed. Yeah. And so if the town were so chocked full of business and every storefront was full and there was just no other room in town, then I would say, okay, you've got a legitimate reason to say we don't need it because we're running on all eight cylinders as it is. Right. Let's face it, we're not. We're running on maybe one and a half, two cylinders. It's it's a hurting area. And so the tax revenue would, you know, we can't because we don't have anything here in the town. We don't get any of the tax revenue, which makes sense, which yeah. could have gone to help service and fix the roads. Name it. It, it could have gone for a number of things. Maybe the, maybe the restaurant has to pick up a couple extra wait staff to help cover the extra customers. Maybe the gas station has to hire another one or two people for the night shift or the day shift. You know, there's people out there that want part-time jobs due to children, due to spouses, due to whatever. Maybe the McDonald's has to hire a couple extra people. It, it, it's just domino effect as you go along. And it blows my mind is should business have a free reign to do whatever they want to do? No. But should a city stifle a legal business because they don't like it? No. And they're they're being, it's just their preconceived notion of marijuana in general. And a lot of it is just so, it's back to the reefer madness mindset. And it just needs to be dispelled. Basically in our county, in our city, 50, it was about a middle of the road. 50% said no, 50% said yes. Wow. So their reasoning was, well, 50% of the people said no. I said, when are they more important than the 50% of the people that said yes? I agree with you. You know, if they don't like it, guess what store they don't go into? Right. It's very simple. Do it a trial basis, for goodness sakes. Like, give it a a year and see what are statistics, what's going up, what's going down. Is crime going up? Or is it the same? Or are things better? Are businesses maybe doing a little bit better. Like, why not at least try? What do they think is going to happen? Like, I think it's a huge missed opportunity. Very much so. So with that said, I also want to talk a little bit about your Instagram page. Okay. 
And there's some things you've said on there. One of the things that I read the other day, I want to find it because it, it cracked me up. Oh, Lord. And just so people know, you're a, a, a good-looking woman, and you've posted some pictures. And so that'll catch some people's eyes. Some people, yeah, you know, it is what I've it is. For that, I have but, gotten some flack for the bikini pictures. Oh, I, I didn't even see that one. Um, but oh, the, okay. The one I liked, and this is probably more applicable to women understanding this than a guy. Right. But it cracked me up because I can relate in the fact that I sat there the other day going, "Man, it's easier to just throw on my athletic shorts than it is to put on my car." Even though I'm so lazy, I oh, wear cargo jeans. shorts. The jeans you know, one. The jeans one. It said. It's like, it's like your sweatpants are the friends that lie to you and tell you that you look good, even when you're looking yes. like, you know, and yes. I just was like that hashtag check in with your jeans and that I was dying laughing when I read that, even though, again, as a guy, it's not the same. Yeah. It was hilarious. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I felt like during that time, I was so tired of seeing everyone hashtag COVID-19 and baking the sourdough bread and the banana bread and putting on their sweatpants every day and go, like to me I think yeah I understand we're in this kind of apocalyptic time where it feels like screw it let's just all eat ourselves into oblivion and put on our sweatpants and give up throw on the towel but um to me I just part of my goal or mission, if you want to call it that, for my Instagram, my AF page is to try to inspire people to live well. And that doesn't mean I'm judging the COVID-19 movement um, as far as the like gain the 19 pounds thing. But um, I guess, you know, if we're trying to be thinking long-term and how something like this affects our bodies, don't don't give up like don't <laughs> you know what I mean like th there is eventually hopefully going to be an end to this pandemic and then what I mean shoot now's the time to probably invest in Weight Watchers and Jenny Craig or whatnot right and Jen, oh yeah the other um, one that cracked me up was you did a post <laughs> when did you do this back in April and oh. and it's funny because it's the exact opposite of me and uh -oh. you talk about it and I am a hashtag saltwater girl at heart. I have yes. a phobia of fresh water, even though I grew up swimming in it. So I'm the exact opposite. I'm, I live on Lake Huron, basically. I'm just a couple of miles away from it. Yes, One of the largest. Are. Well, I'm like, there's no whales. There's no sharks. There's no nothing. I know. Yeah, I'm like a Loch Ness monster in Huron. I know that's a fairly safe <laughs> chance that when I enter Lake Huron, I'm still towards the top of the food chain. Whereas when I enter the ocean, I become a piece of the food chain if there's whales, sharks, anything like that. Yeah. So I just, those are a couple that over the, over the last few months, and like I said, I, I've been following you and I've never reached out, but I had read so much of your stuff and it cracked uh -huh. me up when I go through it. And I'm like, some of the days you just, doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, you just read the stuff and it's like, yeah, that's funny. I can, I can relate to something in that. Oh, good. I'm glad. That makes and me happy. That's my, that's my goal. I think humor is um, super important, especially nowadays, but um, I use humor a lot as a pain management tool. Our bodies are kind of falling apart, so to speak. So yep. one of my best friends, her name is also Julie, and um, 
she has AS as well, and uh, it's been really hard on her body. And we both find sometimes humor is what gets us through the day. And uh, and then last, I'm not a cauliflower fan. Yeah. But you posted something, and it was posted on my birthday. And this is about when I started following you was okay. when I saw that within a few days of that. And it was roasted cauliflower in avocado sauce or, you know, avo drizzled with avocado oil. And then Frank's Red Hot. Oh, Frank's Red Hot. I could eat a shoe with Frank's Red Hot on it. <laughs> uh, I, here I use Cholula. That's a, a carryover from living in Arizona and Texas. Cholula's a great one, but try Frank's. It's a little tangier, thicker. So, well, Julie, I can't thank you enough for your time. Um, I think it's very important. I mean, anybody can connect with you on Instagram and your Instagram page is my life with AS and it's just written all out together. It's no spaces, no nothing. It's my life with AS. And I think your, your posts are fantastic. I was really pleased to hear how you address the, the vaping and, and the kids in the picture, because I think a lot of people get concerned about that in one form or fashion Right, and, right. And that's a valid concern for sure. And then your overall diagnosis and the steps you took to get that diagnosis with AS. Uh, again, it aggravates the heck out of me because mine was so different to hear right. people that went through such a long, arduous process that really didn't have to be. Um, so I thank right. you so much for being on this. I, I, it's just been fantastic getting to talk with you. Thank you for having me. I feel really honored. It was fun um, having you reach out and invite me and I'm super excited. I think it's important to just keep having conversations and um, I certainly don't like dwelling on my AS, but I, I created the page as a way to connect with others like you and to spread awareness and, and to try to inspire people, even if they don't have AS and they have something else or, you know, whatever it is that they're dealing with to just try to find a silver lining in things. And if it helps even one person out there, then that's fantastic. And, you know, I will keep, I'll keep posting my funnies in my little quirky way. And hopefully it just maybe brings some cheer to people or makes them laugh or whatever it is. That's just kind of my. And it's the same thing. I, I started this podcast with no idea that anybody would even listen. And I've had feedback from, folks like you with AS and I've also had feedback from the, the forgotten one, which is the spouses and caregivers of people with AS. Um, yeah. Like it or not, your husband doesn't have AS, but to a degree he does because he has to a watch you go through pain and yeah. know that there's nothing he can do to correct it, fix it or alleviate it. Yeah. Help you if you're not, feeling 100%. Maybe it's not an even 50-50 of house chores on any given day. And, you know, as in any good marriage, he, he does things when he's capable of it. You do things when you're capable of it. Right. Things just get done. And so the show's become really just as much for caregivers to listen as it is for the people with AS to better understand what they're dealing with. What the, what the person that they, whether they're a spouse or a, a nurse or, you know, whatever is looking at, because it's terrible when you watch somebody that's in pain and there's nothing you can do. 
Right. It's such a helpless feeling. I'm glad that you brought that up. It gets me a little teary um, because, yeah, it definitely affects your family and your loved ones. And my husband has been really great about being patient. And I think people tend to forget sometimes that I have it because I, I try not to talk about how much I hurt. And sometimes I have to remind my family, you know, because I'm super stubborn. I like to do all the chores myself and, you know, my way is correct and everyone else sucks at vacuuming or, you know, I just, um, but the caregivers, the family members, I think it does, you know, for, for me, I grew up, I'm a child of someone who has AS and the way that she dealt with it is different than how I've chosen to deal with it. Um, but I know it very negatively impacted our family. And I almost wish there was um, more acknowledgement, like what you're doing right now, acknowledging the family, um, because it, it, it hurts children. It hurts marriages. And one thing I've tried to point out is I see a number of posts, and I, I didn't mean to drag this on longer, but no, I saw a, a person I'd done an interview with, and she made a post on Instagram about how bad she was feeling and how guilty she was feeling because she couldn't do certain things with her kids. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, let's flip that around a little bit because, and and she's still extremely active comparatively speaking. I said, your kids are not going to know any different about who mom is or who dad is. If, if you spend time with your kids, that is their normal. They're, they're not thinking, Oh, my friend Johnny down the street gets to do this. And as I grew up, I can remember when I, when my kids were younger and would come down and visit for the summer, mm-hmm. I, they were, let's say eight, six, and four, well, no, it would have been, let's say 10, eight, and six. We'd go to the grocery store and they would carry all the groceries in. They, they would say, dad, we'll get the groceries. And it was a game. To, and I was like, okay. And that I never thought that was bad. I never looked at that as, oh, that's a negative for them. It was just what it was. They never complained about it. And then we would put the groceries away together in the, in the refrigerator. And I can remember cleaning windows with them. And I would squirt the windows down in the lower section and let them wash them. And of course. Who is this family and where can I find them? Because Oh, I don't know that I could get them to do that now. My kids, you know, I'm like, can you please help me with the groceries? Oh, what? <laughs> well, the deal was when we would go grocery shopping, I'd be like, you do want to eat some of this, right? And they're like, That's well, yeah. Idea. I'm like, well, then you're going to help carry it in. I love All right. This. All I right. Like this idea. I think this is brilliant. I'm going to have to have my children listen to um, this particular part of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but outside of that, they knew in – then from a whole nother standpoint, I was always one that as a man, you try to not feel less of. Right. And for a long time, I fought. If somebody would say, can I help you with that? No, 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 I'm fine. I never right. wanted to be looked down on, pitied, anything like that. And finally, I had a friend. She said, you know, when you're at a car, or at your car and you're putting your groceries in the car, if somebody comes up and offers to help, she goes, let them. Yeah. I said, but I don't want to look at it. And she said, you're not. Now they get to walk away feeling like they helped somebody and that they did something good and maybe pass it on and keep it going. I said, Trish. let them help you. Let them have that good feeling that they were able to do something for somebody. And right. I said, I never looked at it that way. 
So not that it happens a lot, but occasionally I'll get somebody to say, can I help you put your groceries in the car or something like that? And I'm like, yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. You know? And, right. It's and cute. I'm like, that makes a lot of sense that that person can walk away. How long did it take them? 45 seconds, two minutes, right. maybe, you know, t- two minutes to do something that would take me 10. Mm-hmm. And they walk away saying, I did a good deed for the day, you know, pat on the back, so to speak. And I'm like, yeah, I never thought about that. And talking with her was a lot cheaper than a shrink. So it made sense. And it came about to be something that I've just walked away with and said, it doesn't make me any less of a person by letting somebody help me with do something. It actually lets them feel like a better person. It's a gift really. Yeah, for sure. It's a win-win. With that said, again, Julie, thank you so much. You have a wonderful weekend and I hope you have a pain-free weekend. Oh, thank you, friend. I appreciate that. You too. You take care. You too.